Welcome to this podcast from VJ Oncology. Today, we'll be hearing from three leading experts in genital urinary cancer on the key clinical trials presented at ASCO GU 2023. In prostate cancer, PARP inhibitors were a hot topic of discussion, with data from Talapro 2 and Triton 3 being presented. In bladder cancer, Invigo 130 and Trophy U01 were two of the key trials, while in kidney cancer, there were updates from Zircon, Cosmic 313 and Checkmate 9ER. Professor Scott Tagawa of Weill Cornell Medicine and New York Presbyterian in New York City is joined by Dr. Carrie Runcie of Columbia University Irving Medical Center in New York City, as well as Dr. Tanya Dorf of City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center in Duarte, California. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us. We're here to give you an update and overview of the potentially practice-changing abstracts that have been discussed at the ASCO GU 2023 conference. I'm joined with my colleagues, Tanya Dorf and Carrie Runcie, who are fellow GU oncology specialists. Why don't we go ahead and start with updates in prostate cancer. Tanya, what, what have been the most interesting abstracts that you've seen? Well, I think the big news yesterday in the prostate session was PARP inhibitors. So we saw data from Telepro 2, which was in castration-resistant prostate cancer patients unselected for genomic alterations. Um, and this was a positive study uh, with a significant prolongation in RPFS, uh, overall hazard ratio around 0.6. Um, of course, the BRCA and other homologous recombination repair altered patients had an even stronger benefit, uh, but there was a significant benefit even in genomically unselected patients. Uh, so this now opens the door to use uh, talazoparib with enzalutamide in MCRPC potentially for unselected patients. Um, of course, we'll be interested to see how the survival data mature. Um, and safety is always a consideration, as well as cost for patients. Um, but it was uh, quite a striking benefit that was seen, and it um, follows on the earlier presentation last year of Propel with abiraterone and olaparib. And then at the same time, we got the Triton 3 data with rucaparib. Um, what was interesting about this presentation was not just that this drug was very effective for patients with homologous recombination repair alterations like BRCA1 or 2, but that the active comparator arm included docetaxel. So I think we've all had this lingering question about if I have a patient with a BRCA alteration, should I use a PARP inhibitor first or chemotherapy first? And here we could see that the uh, median progression-free survival was longer, uh, around 11 months, compared to um, six months for the comparator arm, and not surprisingly, the chemotherapy patients uh, did better, so their progression-free survival was more like eight months, and the second AR-targeted agent treated patients were more like four and a half months. Um, but again, overall, the PARP inhibitor uh, was superior, and so now we have a little bit more data to guide us when we're thinking about sequencing our treatments. Yeah, I, um, I enjoyed those, and I was waiting for those, those abstract presentations. I, I think that um, for me, in terms of prostate cancer, PARP inhibitors, it, at least for medical oncologists with systemic therapy, were really kind of the top-line data. Um, I love the fact that um, Triton 3 did include 
distaxel as part of the control arm, and I encourage all trials to include all of the relevant and ethical um, options for the control arm. So now we have three trials um, with an unselected patient, well, two trials with an unselected patient population plus another in kind of this mostly AR pathway inhibitor naive patient population where you put them together and that patient population is shrinking. So what do you think that means for our average patient? Yeah, that does complicate things. The fact that these patients um, had not been exposed to a prior AR-targeted agent like abiraterone, um, because many of our patients are being treated with intensified therapy up front. But I think these trials really underscore that there is some synergy, that there are additional mechanisms of action for PARP inhibitors in combination with AR-targeted agents. Um, and we'll need some additional data to fill in those kind of gaps, um, but it's definitely something I would consider even in a patient who's pretreated with abiraterone, um, given how active the, the doublet of enzalutamide and talisoparib were. Yeah, and we, we did see the overall survival results of the PROPEL study, unfortunately not powered for overall survival, um, but strong trend and, you know, I, I hope that we can get pharma to cooperate together. Maybe we can do a pulled analysis at, at some point in time when the, when the data are mature. Uh, any final comments on the prostate day? No, I think that's about it. Okay. So uh, we're, you may be watching this at a different time, but we are uh, live here, and today is the mostly urothelial day. Um, I would say that uh, my overall viewpoint is that there's nothing that's tremendously practice changing, more practice affirming or some um, intriguing um, new data or new drugs. Uh, so uh, we're, we're, we will later today see the final results, overall survival results of Invigor 130, um, atezolizumab versus chemotherapy or chemotherapy plus atezolizumab versus chemotherapy and not surprisingly confirmed at the final survival analysis there's no benefit for overall survival. Um, so that really moves, kind of cements that we're really not using single agent immune checkpoint inhibition or combinations with, with traditional cytotoxic chemotherapy in that, that setting. Uh, we, we're seeing additional um, data on antibody drug conjugates. So the, the main approved drug, Enfortimabidotin, has some updated data. Um, Matt Malaski is presenting some quality of life data. Uh, with some improvements in pain and otherwise maintenance of, of quality of life scores. This is court K of that trial was a randomized trial, but it's not a direct comparison. So um, it is nice to see with additional data sets, um, some patient report outcome data. Still, I think it's very early, but a similar drug that, that intrigues me is another Nectin-4 um, targeted uh, compound. Um, I'm forgetting the number of bicycle compound BT, 8009 or something like that, um, that in preliminary data looks to be safe with a very low rate of rash um, and um, maybe a low rate of neuropathy. I'm not sure about that. Um, but in their recommended phase two dose had a 50% response rate. Now it's only four out of eight. Uh, but I think that um, since the Nectin-4 target has already been validated in the clinic, I think having additional constructs, particularly with, with what might be different safety profiles, I think is important. Um, and then the other main approved drug, at least in the United States, is Sazosimab-Gavitikan. The Trophy User 1 study is a multi-cohort study, uh, but three cohorts have been fully enrolled and we're seeing updated data today. Uh, cohort 1, which led to the initial accelerated approval, uh, has updated data and the, the one-line summary is that 
efficacy is confirmed with no new longer-term toxicity um, that's, that's observed, and that's always nice to, to know in long-term follow-up. Uh, cohort two, it's a little bit confusing. So it is at study entry, platinum unfit, meaning carboplatin unfit, although they could have received in the preoperative setting cisplatin or carboplatin in the past. Um, just to kind of clarify, because the, the, the chair actually, I think, misspoke and said cisplatin unfit. Um, so it was a sicker patient population, but really, I would say, validated the, um, the overall response of the drug was 32%. Seems like uh, the single agent activity of those drugs is approximately 30%, with no major differences in terms of toxicity. Still, mild suppression and diarrhea, the two most common adverse events with that particular drug. And then court three, which was a combination in post-platinum, but IO-naive patients, so different than the, than the EV103 study in frontline, uh, but in ADC plus uh, intermediate checkpoint inhibitor with pembrolizumab. When it was presented last year by Dr. Grievous, it was kind of hot off the press. The data barely made kind of late breaking. So now it's, it's more mature follow-up um, and the overall response rate has gone up. So some of those um, that weren't quite a, 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 a partial responder have converted to partial responders. And now we do see, um, I wouldn't say it's so stable, but we do see a median duration of response of 11 plus months, uh, which we didn't know at the time before because of, of um, short follow-up. Also, no major increases in adverse events with the longer follow-up and exposure. Um, so those I found interesting. and then. There's a number of, of different data sets on either urine or plasma cell-free DNA. I would not say that any of are absolutely ready for prime time, but I do think that they can be quite useful um, looking at different uh, genomic alterations in the clinic. We, we do have a molecular target drug in erdofitinib, um, but also especially for minimal residual disease, uh, whether we're talking about muscle invasive or what was uh, presented today, non-muscle invasive in terms of urine. So hopefully we can get larger validation studies in, in the clinic. Well, speaking of genomic alterations in urothelial cancer, a question that I often struggle with is for your patient with an FGFR alteration, you know, where you have erdofitinib as an option, but you also have these antibody drug conjugates, um, are we seeing any data that can help give us guidance in uh, which sort of treatment to reach for first? I think, so I would not say absolutely is, <laughs> is the answer. So I think there's a couple ways to approach this. One is level of evidence. So only EV as randomized survival data. Um, so I, I think that is absolutely reasonable for a patient that we think can tolerate that drug. I think that's absolutely reasonable to, to kind of use first amongst those three, whether there is, let's say, an activating FGFR3 mutation or not. Um, between, let's say, a patient that has had EV, between SG and erdofitinib, a patient that has an activating FGFR mutation, we don't know. Um, looks like trope 2 is expressed in that subset, uh, but we don't know that SG is better or worse than, than erdofitinib. So I will often go to the targeted agent because that's kind of my instinct looking at precision medicine, but I, I certainly don't know that's better. And a lot of times um, for patients switching from an IV drug to an oral drug is, is sometimes patient friendly. Not that just because it's oral means there's no toxicity. And we all know we need to monitor that early um, I think early identification and intervention in terms of supportive care um, minimizes the chance of any high-grade adverse event. Uh, the one, then there's more data, could be from the UNITE group, I don't want to misquote, but there's more data 
um, that hasn't been fully validated. Kind of answering your question, but a little less relevant on those that have an FGFR uh, activating mutation or fusion may be responding less well to single agent uh, PD-1 or PDL one That's a hypothesis that out there, not all the data is in line, um, but there's another data set in a poster that's being presented that's pointing in that direction. So um, looking forward to uh, tomorrow, uh, which is mostly the kidney day. Um, what do you think are the, the exciting data? I think the most exciting data that everyone is waiting to see are uh, you know, the results of the phase three Zircon study looking at next generation um, pet imaging and, and RCC. PSME PET, is, as you all know, have been, has been quite transformative in uh, prostate cancer in terms of diagnosis and therapeutics. And it's changing the way that it's changing the whole field. And so, um, you know, the, the Zircon study may potentially have the same role or effect in, in RCC in terms of picking up uh, clear cell RCC at an earlier time. It's looking at CA9 uh, as a marker in, um, in kidney cancer. And so perhaps we may be able to detect clear cell RCC earlier, and that may have uh, implications for treatment and cure, which is always the goal. Um, in, in addition to potentially being a biomarker of response, you know, we have yet to find good biomarkers of response in, in clear cell RCC, and so this could potentially be a, an imaging biomarker. So that's very exciting. Um, so, you know, I think that's the most exciting results that we await in, in RCC. So far, we know that it has um, at least an 86% sensitivity in detecting clear cell RCC, 87% specificity. So that is uh, quite impressive compared to our current standard of care. Um, in addition to that, we have updated results from COSMIC 313. So Tony Cherry presented results of COSMIC 313, that's a triplet in advanced uh, clear cell RCC at ESMO, and we have updated results you know, um, at ESMO. We found that it's the intermediate risk group patients that seem to have some benefit from the triplet, and nobody really knows why. Uh, this uh, presentation is looking, at, looking closer at intermediate risk and poor risk group. 75% of the overall patient population was intermediate risk, 25% poor risk. Um, and in the intermediate risk group, you know, the triplet compared to Epinevo had a 45% overall response rate compared to 35% um, response rate. And the hazard ratio is improving as, you know, it also has a lower progressive disease rate, 7% compared to that of Epinevo. So it's quite promising. We still need to figure out why though, that it's intermediate risk population. Um, one hypothesis is that, you know, this intermediate risk group had more prior like cytoreductive nephrectomy. 70% of those patients had cytoreductive nephrectomy in comparison to 44% in a poor risk group. And so there may still be some role for cytoreductive nephrectomy with our current standard of care. And, uh, you know, at Columbia, we do have a trial looking at cabo-nevo with cytoreductive nephrectomy. And so hopefully that may shed some light and add some data to this, to this story. Um, in addition to that, there was a post-hoc analysis looking at biomarkers of response in, uh, in Checkmate 9ER. Um, there are updated results from Checkmate 9ER, Cabo-Nevo, and the biomarker data really showed that we, we still have more work to do. So, you know, looking at our prior uh, biomarkers, CD8 T-cell uh, subsets, looking at CD8 T-cells topology, looking at gene expression analysis, really none of these um, biomarkers panned out. And so we really do have more work to do as a field, and perhaps this next generation imaging may be a good biomarker response for some of our patients. Yeah, you know, I think when I when I look, so a lot of what I've done 
um, in terms of research is looking at cell surface targeting. And I've looked at the timeline for CA9, it's very similar to PSMA, <laughs> and that's been decades, and then finally something becomes validated. This is not yet approved, but I think uh, there, are, there are many useful potentials, including workup of, of renal masses. Is it a you know, lipid poor AML, or is it a clear cell renal cell carcinoma? Yeah, you know, yeah. that, that I think can help. And, and the next step could be therapeutic as well yeah, as targeting that. So, just like PSMA PET. Um, you know, it's, it's nice that we have all sorts of different combinations of IO, 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 or IO, VEGF. Um, now we have HIF, uh, but having another mechanism of action, I think, would, would be exciting for the field. Yeah. Well, I would say it's it's definitely been enjoyable. Um, I don't know that this is a record attendance, but nearly 6,000 seems to me that it's nearly record attendance combined online as well as in person. For those of you that didn't make to the meeting, we can tell you that for many of the sessions, all the seats are full. Um, so it's, I think, a combination of wanting camaraderie, um, scientific discussions, as well as exciting new data that uh, we can you know, take, take in today and, and bring to the clinic tomorrow to help our patients. So thank you very much for your attention. That's all for this episode. Take a look at vjoncology.com for more roundtable discussions from leading experts in GU cancer, including a session on radiotherapy highlights for Masco GU with Sophia Cameron, Himanshu Nagar, and Neha Vapiwala. If you enjoyed this episode, you can follow us on your favorite podcast app, including Spotify and Apple. You can also follow us on Twitter for live updates from oncology congresses throughout the year. Stay tuned for more updates and discussions with BJ Oncology.